heaven because none of us has ever been there. And, but we all hope to go there by the grace of God. So it's interesting that we can read about it from what the Lord has allowed the inspired writer to put on paper. But we can also use our imagination because we don't know for sure. So, you know, your imagination, you never know. But the Lord tells us that we can't even imagine the things he has prepared for us. So, uh, again, join in with the discussion as we um, read and then talk about what the Lord says to us today. We're starting with communion with the faithful of all ages. That's some of the people that will be in heaven. It says there the redeemed shall know even as also they are known. There the redeemer shall know even as they also are known. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that also that uh, we'll be known even as we are known. What does that mean to you, that phrase, to be known even also as they are known? Um, Any thoughts on that? It says the redeemed shall know even as also they are known. What does that phrase mean to you? Uh, we will know each other. We're going to, uh, we won't be so different, <clears throat> look so different or behave <clears throat> so differently that we will know each other. You know, you'll know each other mannerisms. I remember that there's a point in the Bible where after Jesus had died, he showed up in a, um, in a room, upper room where the, I think it's upper room, where the disciples were gathered and uh, they thought it was a stranger. And then they saw his mannerisms, the way he moved. They let them know. So even if they could not see his features, they were able to um, recognize him as himself because of his movements, because of the way he was, he, um, he moved. Okay, good. Anyone else have a thought on that? Know yeah, my thought, my thought was that even, uh, even the angels will know us because we will all be part of God's children and they will get to know us and we will get to know them so we'll be in communion with them as well as jesus that will be over all of us okay that's an interesting thought that the, uh, the angels will recognize us our guardian angel will still know us too sometimes people think that we're going to be totally changed you know into something totally different a different person but the lord tells us people will still recognize you like Lakita was saying, your mannerisms, your voice, et cetera, you know, your looks. So just like they knew Jesus when he had went to heaven and came back, they still knew who he was. You put the bread in. Okay. Lee, um, Lee mm -hmm. they didn't know who Jesus was when he, when he came back. That's why he had to open their eyes. Like when they were on the road to Emmaus or when he appeared, they didn't, they didn't recognize him. Well, it so, says from, they, from his looks, from his looks. Well, they were so caught up in their happenings, they were distracted. They weren't really trying to see who he was. They were, you know, on that road, they, it was kind of a little dark outside, and um, they just was distracted by their sadness. Yeah, it said that uh, that's true, and that even when Christ revealed himself to the disciples, it's kind of like he was. Uh, hanging back a little bit so that they wouldn't see him. But then once he came forward, like Thomas knew that was him when he touched him also. But if he had looked so much different, they would have still not believed. So, yeah, we're going to be recognizable. You know, I guess we'll have a heavenly glow, but still Moses had a heavenly glow, but they still knew who he was also. 
It says in the next sentence, the love, the loves and sympathies which God himself has planted in the soul. What do you think about that in terms of humanity? Loves and sympathies which God has planted in the soul. Anybody thought of that? Do we have love and sympathy planted in our soul? Yeah, we should have if we want to be Christ-like. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a good thing to have, wouldn't it? Uh, when we were created, do you think God put love and sympathy in our souls? Yeah. Yeah, of course he yeah. did. He said yeah. everything is perfect. But yeah. what happened to it? It became distorted. Sin. Yeah, it became distorted as a result of sin. Mm-hmm. So instead of love and sympathy, what does it seem a lot of people have? Hatred, meanness. Yeah. And when we, we all know some people who are kind of hateful and mean. And when those people are around, you know, what we have to do is recognize that that's not what God planted in that person, that the devil is trying to take over and use them for his purposes. We all have love and sympathy in us somewhere. It's like a... I remember this cartoon comic strip and it said, uh, this person has a lot of love in them because none of it ever comes out. So <laughs> the Lord has put love and sympathy in our heart and uh, we have to exercise it because at times we all get upset. We might get mad at somebody, but as Christians, we're called to, to allow the love and the sympathy to come out and not the anger and the hatred that the devil wants to come out. So when we get to heaven, that's the only thing that's going to come out is love and sympathy for one another. That would be a real blessing, you know, because on this earth, it's, sometimes it's hard to find true love. And anyone who empathizes or sympathizes with the plight of the poor or the downtrodden or people who are going through struggles, a lot of people are willing to condemn and try and correct and, you know, point fingers at. A lot of that goes on. Have you ever put a comment out on the internet and then read the replies you get? <laughs> Do you find a lot of love and sympathy out there? No, not always, you, you know, because people can hide behind the internet so they don't feel too uh, afraid to just tell you what they think about you and your comments, you know, but as Christians, again, let's try and spread love and sympathy and empathy for what other people are going through. Amen. 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 Yeah. And, and that love and sympathy and um, understanding for each other, that's part of the happiness of being in heaven. Um, think about this. Uh, remember the song, What the World Needs Now is what? Love, sweet love. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a totally different planet if the world was really full of love? Wouldn't we all be happy and joyful? You know, people might not even be so anxious to go to heaven if this world was full of love and happiness, which heaven would be full of. Mm -hmm. uh, ne next paragraph says the happiness of others is the what? Joy of the redeemed. The joy of the redeemed. How do you figure that? How is that going to be the joy of the redeemed? Because, you know, we will rejoice in other people's success. We'll rejoice in their happiness, um, as we should down here. Rejoice with our brothers and sisters. But I think, I think too, that, that, that right now we're supposed to have joy. But I think our joy will, will be full in heaven because it will be finally realized 
completely. Yeah, I think that completely part is right. Down here, we can have some joy. Jesus still gives us joy here, but as you're pointing out in heaven, it's going to be full joy. And I was thinking too, full joy, because we have full and complete trust. Because some of, you know, the reason we can't fully be joyful for other people is because we're not quite sure that, you know, we're going to get the things that we want. (laughs) And, And we are concerned about ourselves here on earth. You won't have to be in heaven. Although we need to be uh, getting rid of that selfish trait before we get, because we're not going to get to heaven with it. Does joy run on a supply and demand system? No, no. Why not? No. Joy is uh, is abundant. It's for our taking. You know, it's it's not limited by how much supply and demand is. You can have it if it's a supply variable. Joy is always is always an abundance of supply because it's it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How about before the pandemic when you went to the store and you was reaching for a loaf of bread or some toilet tissue or whatever, and you was somebody else was reaching, you say, Oh, here, let me get it for you. <laughs> but then when the supply dwindled down, what happened to the joy and the um, brotherly love then? They try to knock you in the head to get it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a witness. I'm a witness. That happened to you, Patsy? Yeah. In several <laughs> stores, especially Target. Several stores, okay. So the supply went down and the joy went down with it, huh? Yeah, but, and a few times I thought I was going to hit the ground. But I, did, I didn't let that affect me because I said, Lord, I said, you put me here and you will supply what I need, even though I'm getting knocked around, pushed around, and knocked in the head. And the Lord still blessed me to get what I needed so I could deliver it to other people. Good point. Now, you brought up something interesting, Patsy. Who is our true source? Jesus. Yeah. God is our true source. So what? Target don't have any more orange juice left. Is that your source for what you need? No. So what? They run out of napkins and paper towels. Is that your source? No. We always go to the source, and that is God. And like you did, Patsy, you said, well, that's okay, Lord, you're going to provide for me. God is our provider. So even though the supply on earth might dwindle, our joy shouldn't dwindle because of that, because that's not our source. But many times we look at these earthly things as our source. We look at our job as our source. We look at our our boss or our supervisor as our source. We look at our spouse as our source. We look at our family. They're not our source. God can use them also, but he is the ultimate source of where everything comes from. So when we get to heaven, the chief joy of all holy be- beings will be to witness the joy and happiness of those around them. Are people really happy to see you prosper? Mm-mm. Not always. Yeah, not always. Not all the time. Well, what about your immediate family are there people in your immediate family and you don't have to mention names that when you get a promotion they get kind of mad or when you go on a big uh-huh. have a yes lord yeah yes it happens because but when we get to heaven their joint happy our joint happiness will be seeing other people being happy and prospering and again you know, elder carol 
Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish. No, you I'm know, when I, came up, when I came up here and got baptized, I thought there would be a lot of my family members that was happy that, you know, I finally gave my life over to the Lord. And when I went home, some of them was like, oh, she, gonna, she thinks she's a holy roller now. And I thought, no, I'm a sinner. That's why I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> you got that all backwards, huh? Yeah, think about it, too. And think about yourself. Think, let's think about ourselves. When we see other people on the job get promoted, do we get attitude or when our family or friends move ahead? And even there are a lot of times where pe- parents are jealous of their own children moving ahead. Yeah. Yeah, what's up with that? Well, you know, Elder Carroll, I think, too, it took me a long time to understand when I moved here. You have a lot of older people that's in positions, and they didn't want to help bring the young ones up that was coming up to get positions. And they was like, now they, by the time, before I get ready to retire, they took my job. And I thought, we shouldn't think like that. We should think that, you know, God wants us to reach down and pull them up because somebody reached down and pulled us up. And I, I, I just could never understand that. They did not want to pull the young ones up, and, you know, to where they could survive and, and get to know God's goodness and be able to praise him for what he's doing for them. I never understood it. It was an age thing. Hmm. But sometimes, Patsy, maybe they didn't get that hand up. Maybe they didn't get anyone that reached down to them. Maybe that's how they were treated, that, you know, I had to get it for myself. You got to get it for yourself. And so that's kind of what they knew. I think it's yeah. you know, from looking back over my life, it was some pretty, pretty, I think, harsh stuff in our community, in the African-American community that wasn't helpful to anybody. But it was what they knew. Um, that whole idea, like we just said, is, is there a limited supply of joy? I changed the questions around. Is there a limited supply? I think that we grew up with the limitations that, you know, only they was only going to hire so many black people. They were only going to, there was only so much available. And I think that's how people handled their lives. Thank you. I never thought of it like that. Thank you. Working from a sense of lack instead of a sense of uh, prosperity. No, I mean, but the lack was real. It wasn't Mm -hmm. prosperity hadn't been, you know, like a lot of people just had not experienced prosperity. And I might add too, I just have to always add this in. Sometimes the churches promoted that too, you know, um, that lack, you know, that, you know, God didn't say your car could save you. And, you know, people want to get this and that. And they really, in a way they didn't, I don't think people realized what they were doing, but they really promoted that in the church. You know, don't try to get wealthy. Don't try to do, don't try to get money. And it's just, it was foolishness. Mm. And not that, you know, our lives should be, sitting around getting money, but, you know, God is the author. He, everything, it's the same as people having, like, science is separated from God. It's not. God created science. God created wealth. The Bible says it is God who gives you the power to get wealth. He gives us health, you know, so I don't know. It's like if you tried to do something more, people were offended, or they thought you thought you was more than anything, everybody else, or that you was putting that in the place of God, it's just a mess. I don't see how we even came through some of this stuff. 
Right, aggressive guy. You know, a lot of things that we experience are strictly based in our minds, how we perceive it, how we look at it, how we've been taught and trained to um, see things. And if we can change our thoughts, we can change our actions, right? Think about this. I've heard where a, a person says, if they are low on income or their money has kind of dried up, a lot of people will hold back and hold on to what they have. But there are other people who go ahead and spend like they normally would, trying to keep that attitude of prosperity. What do you think of that? Think that makes a difference? I do. Why? It depends, like, uh, well, I saw a movie where a rich person was like, okay, this woman had married a rich man, but she was poor. And so the company was going through a little something, something. So the woman, she was like, well, we better start selling this and we got to stop having that. And then the, um, the daughter, the man's daughter said, now you're talking like a poor person. And he, she was like, what you mean? She said, poor people think we got to sell stuff to or hold on to stuff. Rich people think, let me throw a big party and invite all my friends. And you can see, you know, they did just that. They had a big party. And then there was new contracts made. You can see the, um, the owner of the company talking to several people about the contracts and business deals and blah, blah, blah. And then they were back on track by the end of the night. I think it's the same way with God. If you hold on, it's like saying, I don't trust God. If you go ahead and live your life, you know that God is going to provide. Mm, good points. Do you think there's only a limited amount for everybody on the planet? Amount of money, resources, et cetera? No. <laughs> is there no, a limited amount? You don't think no, it's limited? I don't think so. Does anybody no. think it is limited? A limited amount for everybody? No, I don't think so. Okay. So that means there's more than enough to go around, right? Right. Amen. Okay. So if there's enough to go around, then we can be happy for people who are prospering because it's not going to take away from us because they get something. So, you know, if we need to change our attitudes, that when our people we know, loved ones, family, friends, whoever, co-workers get something good out of life, be happy for them. How would, would that make a difference to you to be happy for somebody else getting ahead? How would that affect you as a person? Well, I know when I hear somebody, especially, and I'm going to be honest, especially a church member that they got a blessing or something, I just be so happy because I said, I be praying, you know, Lord, you know, whatever they need, provide for them. And it makes me have a, a, a stronger relationship with God, knowing that he didn't forget my prayer. He answered my prayer, and it was for somebody else, and they were able to be blessed and be able to to thank God for themselves also. Oh, excellent. Anyone else? Did he, command us, he commanded us to love one another. So, of course, you should be happy when someone else is doing well. It should make you so happy. And it's also a testament when someone else is blessed to let you know that God is still answering prayers. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. And you just feel better, you know. Feeling jealous does not feel good. It's not, it doesn't make you happy. But when you can truly rejoice with other people, 
and just, you know, praise God with other people. It just makes you feel good on the inside. And, and like both of you guys said, that God is answering prayers from the prayer I prayed for somebody that he answered and, you know, uh, he's answering prayer for them. So I know he, he's got, he's answering my prayer. I have already answered it and I'm waiting to receive it. So it's just really, a, um, it just makes me happier to be able to be rejoiceful for others. Patience. Mm-hmm. What'd you say, Andre? Teaches, teaches us patience too. Okay. Yeah, and it's not like you don't really love nobody if you're not happy. If you know they get something you you want them to be un, you know unhappy. That's not love. Right. Right. Yeah. And let's remember being jealous and envious of others, as they say, is you drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I think covetousness is a part of that as well, and that's one of the commandments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's go to our next paragraph. God's people are at home in the new earth. God's people are at home in the new earth. It says that uh, the tree of life yields its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the service of the nations. In the scriptures, it says for the healing of the nations. Any thought on why the tree of life yields its fruit every month and how the leaves are healing the nations? Any thoughts on that? Remember, we're using our holy imagination because nobody knows for sure. Any thoughts on that? Why is it only once a month, the tree of life yielding fruit? That whole thing is a mystery to me, so I'm looking for an answer. <laughs> yeah, it's a mystery to all of us. It leaves for the healing of the nation. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think... In the beginning, um, you know, God gave every green herb and everything yielding seed for us. And so um, as far as the, and it wasn't, uh, I don't know exactly why it's leaves instead of the fruit from the trees, but um, I just think about in that sense that it was given to us in the beginning and um, now it's given to us again as a healing agent. Very interesting. I am. And my, my, thought, my thought is that when, even though we'll be changed at a blink of an eye, we still will, you know, will be more, will be like Christ. And he did eat, I mean, he did physically eat food when he was on earth. So I think, you know, the, you know, the tree of, uh, that will, you know, have a, fruit every month to be different. I think that's to, to, to make us understand that we still have a connection with Christ. If he ate and now we're with him, he ate. And so physically, even though we won't have to worry about diseases and all of that, I still think we're going to physically need, you know, energy. And I think the leaves, when they talk about the leaves, I think in terms of the different plants that like the uh, that you get teas from, you know, like the saff what is it, uh, the saffrafras teas and stuff. They came from leaves, and I think in terms of the leaves of the tree, I think in terms of letting us experience the different tastes and represent the different nations that you know that are there. And we may, like I said, we may have all kind of different leaves and stuff that other people in countries had that we never knew until we got to heaven. Mm. I think I think when we're when it says uh, we should come out this immort this mortality should put on immortality 
you know, we were never immortal without the tree of life. We never were, was that. But once we sinned, once Adam and Eve sinned, then we took on the possibility of death. We took that uh, on an immortality at that point was lost to us. So I think at, at death, when we are re resurrected uh, or uh, when we go return to go to heaven with Christ, then we will have the potential, the ability to be immortal again. But and, and, and um, death will not, you know, our bodies will no longer succumb to decay. But I also think the leaves of the tree of life will is um, part of that immortality is that we're going to be taking that and it will give us the ability to live an eternal life. Like uh, Adam and Eve was taken out of the garden before they ate of the um, leaves of the tree of life because, because if they had eaten it, they would have been able to, they would live these eternally long times, even though their head was cut off, even though their stomach was gutted out and it was just been a terrible thing. So there's some mercy. So I think that we're going to have, it will restore us to give up. We have the opportunity to be immortal when Jesus comes after he raises us and we are translated into heaven. But then that's activated when we, when we eat from the tree of life. That's my complicated thought about it. <laughs> okay. A lot going on there. It says there are ever flowing streams, clear as crystal, waving trees. Uh, wide spreading plains, hills of beauty, mountains of God with lofty summits, peaceful plains and living streams. And then it says, God's people, so long pilgrims and wanderers shall find a home. Why is it calling God's people pilgrims and wanderers? This is not our home. This is not our home. What's not our home? This earth because, um, because of sin, we are restored. To our rightful place is to be with God. We mm. were never intended to be separated from God, so we will find our rightful place. Okay, anyone else thoughts on that? Why are we called pilgrims and wanderers? Well, I think at the end of time, we're going to be having to escape to caves and sort of be persecuted again, caves and um, places where, you know, we would not ordinarily live if we weren't being persecuted. And so, um, as someone also mentioned, this earth is not our home. And we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is not man. Well, didn't God and create I the earth and put us on it? Yeah, but it was hijacked by Satan. He took over it. So it's uh -huh. been under his dominion. And and you think of pilgrims, they, 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 we think back in history, pilgrims came because they want religious freedom. We're pilgrims because, like they said, they, well, this is not our home, but we want to be in a place where Jesus is, so we never have to worry about where are we going to take, take, uh, take uh, shelter and get a home uh, away from sin. There will be no more sin. We will not have to worry about where we're going to live because we're there permanently forever with Jesus. Amen. We, well, can, go other, we can go to each other's mansions and stuff. Hang out. Amen. Amen. All good thoughts. And the next paragraph, it says, my people should dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Violence shall no more be heard in the land. Wasting nor destruction in thy borders, 
but thou shalt call thy wall salvation and thy gates praise. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Peaceful habitation, quiet rest, no violence. A lot different from the world we live in, and that's where everybody was making the point. God put us on the earth that he made new, but now it's not the same earth. And for uh, since the time of Adam and Eve, we've been looking for that peaceful place where God dwells, and that's going to happen in the earth made new, and that will be our final resting home, I think, as Patsy had mentioned. My lecture, long enjoy the work of their hands. What kind of work we got to do up there in heaven? Whatever we want to do. I, <laughs> I think it's the same as um, it's uh, the earth made new. It's going to be like as it was originally supposed to be before Adam and Eve fell. I mean, he told them to, you know, to be stewards of the earth and tend, and tend to the gardens and, and things like that. That's what comes to my mind. Yeah, if we look right at the uh, paragraph 144.1, the bottom couple of sins, right before I read that last sentence, says they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And then as Karen added, whatever you want to do, there's going to be so much we can do, you know, in heaven as well as the other worlds. So this is just going to be never-ending, plenty of things to do. And, and you know, Elder Carol, I think, too, that as we work in heaven, when, when it's not going to be the same type of work that we have down here where, you know, our minds get heavy down, our bodies get heavy down. We're going to be so overjoyed, <laughs> and whatever we're doing, we're going to have the joy in doing it. Amen. Good point. Now, Brother Carol, you just said we will be, you're reading, I'm on the phone, so I can't read and be on the phone at the same time. At least I had figured it out. So anyway, you said it, the text says that we will be building, and um, I, I know we'll be chilling the soil and doing different things like that. But he said, in, in uh, John, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Mm -hmm. So, and they're prepared for us already. So I, I'm coming to get lost off right there. That's going to be your country home you're going to build. <laughs> yeah, your vacation home. <laughs> yeah, the Lord's going to build us mansions, but we'll also be able to build houses as well. And in I don't even try to understand. I just want to make it there. I'll figure the rest out when I get there. <laughs> Amen. Amen, sister. <laughs> you know, one thing I think is interesting is that last sins my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands, enjoy the work of their hands. A lot of times you're working at your job, doing whatever you do, and you're not enjoying it. You're not having fun. You know, it's not a, ball, uh, a lot of fun for you there, but it says here, we're going to enjoy the work of our hands. It's like what people say. Amen. When they talk yeah. about, when you're teaching your kids about occupations and getting a degree or getting a trade, you know, in certain things. And then they tell you that if you do what you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. So it sounds like that to me that is a God's election long enjoy the work of their hands. Well, it's going to be a, I can't think of the word like a um, agricultural society. Is it gargarian? I don't know. But even down here, I don't have a green thumb. 
and I, but any time I put my fingers in the soil, a plant seed, when I use a plant seeds in my grandmother's garden, or or go back and harvest the, the, you know, the vegetables or the fruit, it brings so much joy. Even though I like kill plants every three months, plants rotate in and out of my house. <laughs> I feel so. It's just something like I got a whole new set this week. It just it just does something to me. And I, I think that's for a reason, because we were created for that. And I noticed during quarantine, there were a lot of shortages on, uh, like, garden supplies and wood and different things, because people were making their own garden. They were getting back to nature. It's just something about that. I don't care who you are. It's just therapeutic. And just to see something grow. So I can only imagine what it would be like when everything is perfect. Mm-hmm. And I won't kill that thing. Yeah, thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah, it's very true that when you're working outside or in the garden, it's almost like you're getting in touch with your roots because we came from the dust. And then when you get your hands out there in the dirt, it's like coming home, so to speak. It does. It makes a huge difference. We have our garden and it's always a lot of fun. You get out there and plant the plants and then you harvest them and even uh, picking the weeds out of there. It's just really relaxing and it's a lot of fun. And what people don't know until they have a garden, it's a lot of work too. You know, if you work outside, you want to come home sleepy and tired. But, but you know, Elder Carol, as we though. grew up, my dad used to take us out in the back of our yard. We had a, a, a nice size yard. And my dad had one section that he sectioned off and he would grow cucumbers and all of that. And we noticed that the neighbors, you know, now you know we weren't rich with all of us. The neighbors would come over and they would try to, they would tell my dad, they was like, instead of going to the store, we just pay you. My dad say, no. He said, this came from the ground and the Lord blessed it. So he would give it to them and, and they would say, you know, it tastes so different when it's planted in Mr. Isom garden as opposed to what I get from the store. And now as I'm grown, I find the same thing. I'll say it when I'm up here trying to buy a cucumber. I'm like, they don't taste like the ones at home. Of course, the ones at home came from the ground. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference, don't it? I guess uh, some of us remember growing up, you would just grab a tomato off the vine and eat it. And it tasted a lot different than the ones at the store, like Patsy's saying. Amen. Amen. It's kind of waxy and tasteless. But you grab one off the vine. Oh, man, that's a different story right there. It's a real blessing to have your own. And if you don't have a lot of room, you can grow, uh, you can grow vegetables and plants in a pot. You know, or like some people yeah. do, they just take a bag of soil and just tear a hole in it and plant the seed right there in the bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, you know, you know, when I was at Normandy, when they, we uh, did fundraisers to help the science department so they could get a greenhouse. And when they put that greenhouse up, there were so many kids that you thought, you know, most of the time you think teenagers ain't going to want no vegetables to take home. Those kids, they would tell them on certain days you can come after school and you can go out there and pick your own carrots and stuff. Them kids were showing up 
And I said, I was, and, and, and my students was like, Miss Harper, even though I don't eat it, I know when I get them, I'm going to get to my grandmama and they church might, you know, do something with them. Them kids would show up. And I said, it made a difference because they had never seen anything actually grown. They was used to going to the store and getting it in a bag that's already been washed down, processed, or whatever. And so it was, it was a big thing to them. I mean, they was like, man, I like their greenhouse. And they didn't care about getting dirty either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's an excellent, excellent thing to have children. I think every church should have a little plot where their young people come and start a garden, see how things grow, get their hands in the soil. It changes your attitude. A good hard day's work where you're dirty. I mean, and then it yields something. So you're teaching science. I mean, it just makes all the difference in the world. I used to take my little nieces and nephews on nature walk Sabbath. You know, kids fidget in church because church is boring and blah, 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 blah. We got to be here. My friends are doing so-and-so. And that the one thing that they love to do, and they love their little electronics, right? But we put them away on the Sabbath. They did not miss them because every Sabbath I take them on a nature walk. And we had discussed photosynthesis, and we had looked at Mama's garden and see this growing. Can you find uh, the stream beans and, and, and the cucumbers because they hide from you, different things like that. It gave them so much joy. And busy hands, giving a child something, you know, with purpose mm-hmm. to do, if they can't get in trouble, it, makes a, it just makes a big difference. Amen. Amen. And you know, when they grow something and give it to somebody, they have so much pride. They'd be like, I planted this and it grew and I want you to have it. I mean, they just be bubbled over with joy. <laughs> well, it's creation. You're teaching them about creation and it's in our DNA. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to talk to them about the Lord, definitely. Um, it also says one thing that I like is we won't have to pull weeds says instead of the thorns shall come up a fir tree, instead of briar shall come up a myrtle tree. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the goat. And a, and who's going to lead them? And a child. A little child. child. Yeah. It's amazing. Next paragraph says the redeemed will live. We're on 144.3. The redeemed will live boring, useless lives, right? No. <laughs> what does it say? Active, purposeful lives. Active, purposeful lives. Why should we redeem live active, purposeful lives? We made it to heaven. Why do we need to live active, purposeful lives? That's what makes us. God didn't stop when he went to heaven on saving us. And when we get there, we're going to still want to praise him and, and, and glorify him in the Father. Hmm. He created us to be active. He created us that way. We're just going to have that desire. Uh, like Karen said, to go to other worlds, see what they're doing, get to know them. It's, it's just a whole lot to know. And we're going to be curious about stuff. Mm-hmm. Do we have to wait? You know what? Actually, I think inactivity and sedentariness is a result of sin because when you're inactive, you actually get sick. That's, I mean, that's contributes to illness. Hmm. Do we have to wait till we get to heaven to live active, purposeful lives? No. Nope. Yeah, I, I agree with Lakita. Active and purpose is part of living a real life. You know, otherwise we're just surviving and waiting on death. And um, Paula used to do 
exercise classes, right? Yes. Yeah, so did you see a difference in the people who were in your class compared to those who were out and about not in the class? Did the well, class the people help? That came, yeah, the people that came to classes, it released stress. You'd have a good time. It, you know, it, the music, you got the music, you got the camaraderie. Uh, you know, people were always happy after class. There was nobody that left a class angry. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that to be true when we had our water exercise class at Flow Valley. I mean, you know, when you when you first get in, you're like, oh, I got to stretch my body and do it. But you just, I mean, you just look forward to having that time in the pool to do your exercises and stretch. And it gives your mind a different set of thinking. Yeah, that's a good point. It does change your thoughts. So um, We were created to move. Active and purpose, activity and purpose makes a life worth living. You know, people say I don't necessarily have to live a long life, but I want to live all the life while I'm alive. Well, you know, Brother Carol, you, I just, it just struck me the two things together. It's more than just being active, but you could be active doing something negative and destructive. It's an active with purpose. Mm -hmm. that should Amen. Be a soul, Amen. Something positive. That gives glory to God, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a big Amen. difference. So it's good. And uh, Lakita had mentioned about being active and purposeful is what makes us happy. It gives us happiness to be active and purposeful. Even when people are depressed or despondent, what do they do? They tell them to get up and do some exercise. Get up and walk around the block out in nature. Uh, find some goals in life. Get a hobby trying to get people to be active and purposeful because there is if a you noticed, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Have you noticed that um, when people like if they uh, are clinically depressed or, um, or when kids are, are unruly, they have these camps set up for people or these getaway spots for rehabilitation and they always have them do work. They have a purpose and a goal. Everything is structured, and it's always dealing with nature. They got to get up every day and do something, I guess, to break that cycle. Hmm. I mean, Lakita can probably speak to that better, but it it does something to the you know the attitude, and I guess the chemicals in the brain. Yeah, because if you watch Doctor Phil, he always putting them out there or far away from people on a big what is a big uh uh ranch and they got animals and you see them with rakes and they i mean they doing them them kids be doing all kind of stuff yeah and we have to remember use these um use these thoughts for our own lives if we can see the benefits of activity and purposefulness then that's what we should strive for stay active stay loose at least do some stretching you know um have a purpose in your life not a bunch of idle wasteful time you know, and then it continues on. It says there, the last paragraph, last paragraph says there, every power will be developed and every capability increased. Every power developed, every capability be increased. And then it goes on. It says the grandest enterprises, that's the biggest, loftiest goals you can think of, will be carried forward. The loftiest aspirations will be reached. The highest ambitions realized. Now, many times when people set goals, in this world, in this life, 
they'll set a goal and then when they reach it, they get bored and then they fall apart because they don't have another goal because they realize their highest ambitions. But it says here in heaven, even though you've reached your highest ambition, it says still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of body, mind, and soul. So in heaven, we'll never get bored, we'll never get tired, we'll never uh, not have another lofty goal to attain to. It's just going to be constant blessing and happiness and joy doing the Lord's will and doing what he had created us to do and being active and purposeful in our lives. So it's going to be a great place. And I know we all uh, plan to be there by God's grace and through his grace. Amen. So it's going to be terrific. And again, we don't have to wait to get there to be active and purposeful. Let's uh, let the Lord lead us now into what he wants us to do and, and learn to enjoy life. Learn to enjoy life. It's, it's not the uh, amount of life you live, but the amount is not the um, not the life you live, but the amount of life in your living. Any fir- final thoughts? Yeah, you know, Elder Curl, even when I was in the hospital, I said it was so hard for me to have to lay in that bed because in my mind, I'm like, I need to be out, you know, doing what I usually do and, and, and just. Even though it was just, you know, a day or two, I said, being able not to pass out my tracks, I was like, I can't even pass out tracks because I can't stand up. And I just said, I said, now, Lord, I, you know how you pray. You say, Lord, you know, I, I, you slowed me down for a reason. But it feels so good when I was able to get back in my car and drive and go pass out my tracks. That, I mean, I feel like a new woman. <laughs> Amen. 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 Okay, uh, next week, Sister Karen will be teaching us out of Volume 1, Testimonies, and that's going to be paragraph 510.1. Starts out, the young are required in whatsoever they do. The young are required in whatsoever they do, paragraph 510.1. Okay. Uh, um, Sister uh, Paula, would you give us a closing prayer, please? Sure, sure. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and learn more about what you have in store for us, Father God, through your, through your prophet. Please give us wisdom and understanding, clean hearts and the right spirit. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be to dwell within us and that we lead others to Christ. Be with each family represented here. And thank you for um, bringing Miss Patsy out of the hospital and having a full recovery. Forgive us for our sins. Thank you for the gift of salvation. In Jesus' holy name, amen. 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 All right, then. Everybody continue to have a happy Sabbath. Bye. All right, Patsy.